The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Oh, uh, kia ora tato. it's gone by lunchtime. Here we are in uh, London, England, United Kingdom. You can hear the, the bells of Big Ben there in the background. We've got our own Big Ben here on the podcast, Ben Thomas, Annabelle Lee Mather. We just thought that it would be appropriate. We've been queuing for 10 to 12 hours now, waiting to see, oh, there's Big Ben, the Queen and State in Westminster Hall. How have you found your time in <coughs> in the UK so far, Annabelle? Uh, here, I, here I actually um, saw Jerry Halliwell earlier, so that was exciting. Yes. Ben, you're wearing a very fetching tiara. Uh, big Ben bongs for bereavement. Um, yeah, obviously this is the, the saddest occasion I can remember. Um, um, I'll just turn down Big Ben there. Um, Annabelle, thoughts and feelings? on the death of the Queen? Um, thoughts and feelings on the death of the Queen. I have made an effort um, since her passing not to openly express my thoughts and feelings ah, okay. on the passing of yes. the Queen mm. um, out of respect for um, her whanau and, and the people of um, England who are mourning their rangatira and also out of respect for... Um, Māori and other indigenous people who have suffered at the hands of of um, all sorts of horrors that came about as a result of the monarchy and um, colonialism. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, and, and, and you're, are you going to continue that? Her, her, tongue, <laughs> her tongue is very much being bitten at this point. What sort of things haven't you said? <laughs> um, well, it's been an interesting... Um, time because I think obviously her passing leads to questions about whether or not it's time to have a discussion about whether or not we become a republic Mm. and um, the views of Māori and quite often in the media it tends to be portrayed that there's just this one homogenous view that Māori hold about whether or not we should have a republic and Mm. um, but the views of Māori are as complex and diverse as, as Pākehā. So there are some Māori whose whānau may have had a relationship with the monarchy, um, you know, just through their own iwi relationships and, you know, royal tours and that sort of stuff who are, you know, who are genuinely sad um, about her passing and, you know, 
see having her as head of state is a good thing. There's other Māori that feel that, you know, <clears throat> if we are if decolonisation and tenoranga tiratanga is our long term goal, then um, then removing the the British sovereign as as our head of state is an inevitability. And there's others who are you know all sorts of other variations in between. So it's quite an interesting time. The, the thing that I've thought about a lot lately is I feel really sad that people like Moana Jackson, Maturata, Ranginui Walker aren't here to be a part of those discussions if and when they happen. Ben? Um, yeah, look, I, I like a bit of ceremony. Uh, I like I like royal weddings when they come out sort of decked out in antlers and checked evening suits with gigantic top hats and things. Mm. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, especially Pākehā New Zealand doesn't have... In two fronts, you know, first of all, a lot of kind of ceremony, you know, this kind of, you know, slightly fuzzy, quasi-mystical sort of, you know, the ceremony of the veils or whatever they do to sort of induct Charles III in as the new king. Um, and and I think that sort of thing, you know, no matter how sort of eccentric or ridiculous you find it, it it's actually good to have, you know, some of those sort of traditions. Um and also, I think, you know, European New Zealand doesn't spend a lot of time thinking or talking about death. Um, and, you know, you contrast that with uh, Tao Māori. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it is, you know, I think it is good that, you know, even if, even if it's only once every 70 years or so, <laughs> we, we take a bit of time to actually, you know, mark mark the passing of somebody who, you know, holds, you know, the head of, you know, held the office of the head of state of New Zealand for 70 years. Um, you know, whatever you think of the person, you know, it's sort of irrelevant who the mm. person is. But, you know, if, if there's any kind of office that would demand that kind of, you know, public recognition in terms of the passing, it would be that one. And, you know, I, I think there's no harm in us sort of just spending a bit of time thinking about death and collective grief. And I, I really enjoy the pomp and ceremony as well. And, and Did you see the goat? I didn't the see goat. the goat. <laughs> like with this coat of arms like draped around and I was like, is this is he dressed up for the funeral or is like is this just like a very fancy goat that we don't normally get to see? <laughs> there were like, also the bees, the official telling of yes, the bees that the bees that. have to be formally notified that there is a new monarch. That I they that are was now good. in the service of King Charles. That was good. Mm. I did you see the Daily Mail's cloud coverage. Yes. They published a oh, series of clouds yes. <laughs> that readers had seen and detected in those cloud formations the visage of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. In fact, they were just clouds. <laughs> Almost all there, of them. No, there was the one, the one that was the queen wearing her crown with angel wings that, that, did, was, that it, was, to me it looked a bit more like a weird sort of voodoo doll made by a disturbed child yeah 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 but, like a terrifying but there was definitely something in the cloud it was definitely some kind of portent um the other thing i think it's important to say is that a lot of people come out with their memories of meeting the queen and some of them have been <laughs> Who was that old Korea who was like, I don't remember what we said, but there were nice cucumber sandwiches. And I was like, I want to hear more. (laughs) And no one can fact check these stories. So it's a great time to tell everyone your story of meeting, you know, that we went rollerblading through the East End of London. It was amazing. You know, who's going to tell the lie, right? I pulled pulled her out of a geyser at Hell's Gate. What about the holiday? The public holiday has been declared. Is that, you know, that was a sort of brief passing 
controversy and some opposed it, but really it's just a it's just a little day off. What will you be doing, Ben, on the day off? Uh, well, I'll be grieving. You, oh, right, yes. I'll be grieving and I'll be remembering. Annabelle? Oh, I'll be, like, chilling. Can I? And probably, well, is there, you know, the day of the holiday, which is the 26th? Yeah. Which is actually the day after the anniversary of my toe's passing. Oh. Um, is there anything on that day? Like, is there going to be interesting like, ceremonies to watch on well, the TV? Was, is it all done and dusted? It was South then? Canterbury anniversary day, so they've probably got some stuff lined up, like there'd probably be some mm. market days. They'll have you know, a goat of some sort. Might be a raffle. Mm. Whether it's whether it's an upper class one or not. Can I tell you, um, I've got this information from Vanity Fair, so I think it's fine. This is this is what the Queen, apparently, mm. and she's not here to deny it, had four drinks a day. Shortly before lunch, a gin and Dubonnet, did I say you pronounce it? With a slice of lemon and a lot of ice. That's before lunch, so we could do that on the... Holiday. Oh yeah. Oh, hey, um, until, yeah. Then during yeah, she, lunch, she'll have a piece of chocolate and a glass of wine at the end of the meal. Yeah. She was quite a boozy little auntie, wasn't she? <laughs> also at lunch, yeah. <laughs> the Queen drinks a dry gin martini. Wait, according so she's ever, to her she's, cousin she's Mate Rhodes, three drinks. She's at got lunch. Three, three, three drinks by one on o'clock. board. Three, three. She's preloading well, for this, the engagement. Well, this looks, looks bad for Sean Fitzpatrick, who was on the TV telling everyone that she said that you don't drink gin and tonics before six thirty. Really? Mm. Okay. Well, who to believe? Former All Black captain or Vanity Fair? Uh, her final drink of the day. Yeah. So that's it. And then she's just like, didn't, uh, presumably she has a nice sleep. That carries her over. <laughs> that, that tides her through the, the afternoon audience. Or she's just got a stash of like tall cans of tenants <laughs> or Stella Artois under her bed that she goes on. Yeah. And, then, it, and then, it, then before she goes to sleep, a glass of champagne. Oh, yum. I mean, I'm just saying that would be something that we could all do together on the holiday. What about uh, Jacinda Ardern has gone to the UK. She's in London now. Yeah, she's behind us in the queue. Uh, we got, yeah, we, we, we hopped the first plane. Didn't wait. Didn't wait for press conferences <laughs> just, or yeah, parliamentary right. approval. That's, I was. That's that's what we did. I was here with a pup tent. The um, I guess like just in terms of the kind of she'd probably rather. Obviously, she'd rather the queen didn't die. I think that's fair to say. Like you know, that's bad dying. But she probably would well, also prefer to be at home at this point. She's got to go to New York to the General Assembly shortly too. It's not a great time to be abroad, is it? Well, the thing is, it, um, I think Tony Wall, the stuff journalist, tweeted this. He said, you know, mm. he, was, he was like, you know, ever since I started in journalism, every news organisation has been planning for the death of the Queen and they're making sure they get their money's worth now. Yeah. And, and it's sort of the same with government. You know, massive plans for, you know, what happens in the event of the death of the Queen, you know, have been in place for, you know, decades now. And it, it's almost sort of at the point where... You know, because of the, just the affliction of time, you know the actual, you know the actual level of sort of grief and and unsettlement in the populace is probably much lower than they anticipated back in the eighties or nineties. Um, but but you know it's sort of like well we've got all these plans so yeah you know and then Albanese went first in Australia and was like well we'll have a public holiday because everyone's so upset and so then New Zealand kind of sort of had to yeah. and and it's sort of like you know in order for you to all get through this difficult time we're giving you a day off. And everyone's sort of like, mm. um, but yeah, it, it sort of seems like you know it's 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 not going through the motions, but it's definitely sort of um, 
it's definitely uh, maybe a bit of a sunk cost that's happening right now. I don't think it's that big a deal, is it? Like, it might be a little bit of annoyance because Auntie's probably got other stuff that she wants to get on with, but I think most people, you know, know that for an occasion like this, our Prime Minister yeah, need, the, needs to be present. Issue, I so. think, yeah, I think we like seeing her on the world stage. Um, she always performs well. I think that if she didn't go, it'd be all about, you know, Jacinda Ardern snubs the, you know. No, she couldn't do that. Well, so, she got, she so, got to be uh, solemn. Yeah, that's it, sir. She does a good solemn vibe, and so there I, is, don't, I don't think it's And Annabelle, you, 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 you touched on this, but there is, it's, it's sort of these things coming in different waves and, of course, people are respectful for a while, mm. you know, and there's a, there's a, there's, that's, that's good and right and proper. The conversation has turned a bit and will continue to turn to the question of whether or not there is an appetite to move to a republic. Yeah. And do you think people have the appetite for that conversation? I mean, you know, everyone's been quite respectful to Charles at the moment, and that's, that's nice. I think most uh, people are kind of interested, not most people, I think people in general are somewhat interested in mm. the discussion of a republic. I don't think any politician, National, Labour, Greens or otherwise, necessarily has a burning desire right, right. to spend their political capital driving that argument. I mean, her death, of there's sort of two things to look at. One is, you know, her as the, the head of state... Um, in the UK, and I've been thinking, reflecting about this a lot over the last few days, and I come from a family who is staunch anti-monarchists. My grandfather, who was raised in the East End, you know, in particular, couldn't stand the royal family. Um, having seen what's happened in the US over the last few years and, you know, building to the, the insurrection in Washington... I have to say that I now see the value in having a non-politically appointed head of state, mm. someone who is a moderating um, influence, you know, in the leadership realm, someone who can be an adjudicator for fairness, someone who's not constantly out there opining, someone who can use their their soft skills. That's bad, not me, everyone. That was Big Ben. That was just the little... That was Big Ben. <laughs> I don't think you would see what happened in Washington happen in somewhere like the UK, and I, I think that is because of the influence of, you know, the the monarchy as as, as their sovereign. Um, so, that, you know, potentially there's some value in that. The other thing I've been thinking about is the Commonwealth. Hmm. You know, the stolen wealth, as many Indigenous people refer to it. And, you know, again, in the modern context, when you look at things that happen within NATO, you kind of think, actually, is Chogham and the Commonwealth and those discussions and hui that they have such a bad thing? It's actually quite good that we have this group of world leaders from, you know, all different backgrounds, different iwi, who get together and have these conversations in a way where they don't come out of it and decide to go bomb someone or something like that. So I think, you know, there's a lot to be said for that soft influence. In terms of the Republic, I, again, I think that there's not a burning desire for people to start driving that discussion, but I think, you know, 
certainly amongst Māori, those discussions have been going on for a long time with things like Matike Mai, which was being um, considered by, well, run by Moana Jackson, along with Margaret Mutu and others that were looking at our constitutional arrangements. I think there's always going to be a fear that if we if we walk away from, um, you know, if we move to a republic, what's the place of the treaty going to be in it? Is it going to mm. be given the, the mana that it, that it what's should? The crown? Then on the flip side, you have other Māori who believe that when we severed ties with the Privy Council, any real benefit that we got out of being a part of, you know, what do you call it, the, the Commonwealth was really lost to us, you know, in a practical sense. So what's the point of having that relationship? So there's, a, there's some really interesting discussions to be had. Will anything come of it? Certainly not in the very near future. Ben Annabelle's right, isn't she, that there is this, it's become de rigueur or very familiar for political leaders in New Zealand and Australia and probably elsewhere to say, yeah, I think a republic is inevitable. Yeah. But not on my watch. Well, yeah. <laughs> when yeah. you it's look inevitable. what happened with so the fucking not, flag, yeah. you know, like that's, would you want to be the one, you know, you'd have to have, I mean, Keating had a particular kind of fire in his belly mm. in Australia, but generally it doesn't seem like pragmatically a sort of super big vote winner, you unless... Could, you could argue too, like Helen Clark, when she got rid of the knighthoods and that, that was right, her yeah, starting right, to sever yeah, those ties, yeah, and, and then the, ne- the next back, government came and we all came back, back, and everyone was like, but oh, the, young, and have a knighthood. I guess the different, the different, the thing that could be different is that the Queen has been a paragon of uh, dignity and lack of intervention, and yes, Charles has said he'll do the same, but can he? Can he resist? Mm. Just sticking, you know... Things, mm. events happen that change people's level of enthusiasm for such a, what would be such a big change. Look, would it be a disaster if if uh, <laughs> if, if Liz Truss just off her own bat decided? To improve regulation of fountain pen manufacture in Britain, Uncle. wouldn't that wouldn't that be fine for everybody, whether or not it benefited King Charles the Third? Uncle, you know, I was uh, thinking we've been your treaty partners for so long. Like we could have given you a big pen. We know about this stuff. Out of here to Howard, pa- Howard, Howard Morrison, Morrison. You know, like he would have hooked you guys up. And yeah, you know, you know when um, you know you do tr- treaty signings and stuff. Often um, you'd have commemorative pens mm. for the day, right? You know, and there'd be you know these fancy fountain pens or whatever. Yes. And it could be that, you know, Charles had those made, but sort of like 30 or 40 years ago, so now ah. they're just all sort of gluggy yeah. yeah. and, you know, they've been sitting yeah. in state. I, um, I do, when I said there could be something that happens in an event, what I specifically was thinking of was Charles getting the wrong end of the stick on the pen being mightier than the sword, sword <laughs> and, like, just randomly stabbing courtiers and staff with a big <laughs> fountain pen. Um, uh, yeah, look, I, I think that the the paradox of the royals is that essentially they they don't really have any power. They they do have to act on the advice of the prime minister, and alter you know they have the power to sort of you know sack the prime minister if there's sort of confusion or we get into what you know we always call a constitutional crisis. The sort of there be dragons yeah. kind of map of a democracy or part of the map of democracy. Um, 
and and so it's this sort of reserve power in my column today on stuff.co.nz. I called it, you know, the sort of the equivalent of carrying around the nuclear codes of a Westminster democracy, um, and, and with the idea that it will never be used. Um, and so, you know, the, the kind of paradox of the head of state that we have as, as, as part of the monarchy is the person who has the ultimate sort of power but can't use it and can't do anything with it and just sort of spends their days going to school prize givings and ribbon cuttings and shaking oh. hands and kissing babies and flinging fountain pens across the room, <laughs> um, checking in with the goats and the bees. And, and, and in a, you know, when I, when I think about it, you know, obviously, you know, you know, these people don't face like lives of huge hardship or anything. But, you know, it's not exactly, you know, when we sort of think, oh, they're so wealthy and they're so privileged, but if you if you think about them in cons- in comparison with other people that we think of as as very wealthy, you know they can't fill like a swimming pool with champagne. They can't you know have That's a, a shame. They can't be like John Legend and have a party at their house based on Squid Are you Game. Sure? With, you know, in, in, instead they just have you know if if they get dressed up, it's not go to the, to go to the Met Gala. It's to just go and see a bunch of people waving little flags. You know, there's That's no true. There's no but joy they, to it. But, <laughs> but but monarchy in general around the world are the exemplars of that sort of behaviour and annals of history, aren't they? So I think it does signify something that is still pretty pretty weird to have a hereditary monarchy, oh, I, particularly when you're a country on the other side of the world. It, it, is, partic- it is strange, but imagine if you sort of, like, let, let's say you think it's a workable system, which I actually think it is. You know, I, th- I think it's best that that sort of power, that sort of backstop power... You know, you sort of think, well, who would you have doing that? You know, mm. you don't necessarily want to recruit from the ranks of somebody who's had an extremely successful uh, political or legal or business career because they'll have their own sort of ideas about what might be a constitutional crisis or what might be the best thing to, you know... You want someone to do in- incubated in the traditions yeah. of this weird anomaly. It's, it's a very special skill set that ideally they'll never use and... Mm. And and so why not have somebody who's basically been raised in a sort of butterfly display case, um, you know, with this sort of, you know, very sort of specialised sense of duty and responsibility kind of inculcated into them? Um, you know, because if you, if you took advertisements to be the royal family, you know, you know, you know, how many of the sort of... How many of the sort of people that we think of as extremely competent or successful or, or, or rich or wise would actually want to do that and would want to subject their mm. families to, you know, hourly scrutiny, would want the rest, you know, would want to sign up for 70 years of sitting at the front during prize givings and formal dinners and acting interested? Oh, excuse you know? me, if you're getting served gin and tonics at lunch <laughs> and a red wine with a champagne chaser, like, I'm, you're I, available. I mean, I, I'm available, yeah. yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, listen, just while we've inched forward in the in the queue to uh, visit the Queen in her lead-lined coffin in Westminster Hall, um, a couple of announcements. One, uh, we uh, gone by lunchtime. This podcast that you're listening to right now is going to be doing a live version. I mean, in front of an audience of people oh at the Escape Festival in Tauranga. Do you remember we agreed to do? It's that? a yeah. literary festival. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you listen to that episode of the podcast, you you will have read a book. Hmm. It's the same. Is it? <laughs> Vibes. Uh, well, you can actually come to it if you would like. It's in Tauranga. Yeah, that's Escape like writing festival. a book. It's on October the sixteenth, and we've got the special guest Jan Tanetti, Minister of the Crown, and Tanya Tapsell. Meryl candidate. Meryl candidate. 
I think I think the election will be done by then, so she either will be the mayor of Tauranga or won't or won't be the mayor of Tauranga. So come along and find out which one she is. Another 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 PSA. Mm. Uh, Tiahi Butler, who is normally producing this podcast, mm. is currently doing a show which I went to see last night. This is an unpaid endorsement. Looked amazing. Oh. Uh, with the modern Māori quartet doing uh, 80s, the Civic Winter Garden. Tino Pai. He sings Everybody Wants to Rule the World. <gasps> and you just Get melt. Out. You Are literally you melt into your seat. He's That's such my a dream. Jam. Incredible. Um, and thank you very much to Ethan, who is stepping in today to record this podcast. Very no good worries, to guys. Um, Ethan. Thank you so much. Um, also, spin off members, join that, and uh, we can keep paying for these business class flights to London to go <laughs> and see. The Queen. Another totemic, long-standing, transcendent part of our uh, lives went to the better place in days gone by, and I'm referring, of course, to the traffic light COVID framework, Mm. uh, which never got to a green light. Um, which would disappoint Lord, <laughs> who's been waiting for it for a long time. Never got to green light, did it? No. What did you think about that, Annabelle Lee Mather? The Is it risky in a health sense, and a political sense? Basically, we know no longer the, the mask requirements are for the almost entirely gone apart from Well, getting settings. rid of it is risky in no. a health sense, and not getting, ris- not getting rid of it was risky right. in a political sense. Right. So it's sort of like... You know, a bit of a catch-22 really, isn't it? I think, I mean, obviously, um, the so- we've talked about this ad nauseum. The social licence is worn out. People are sick of it. You know, people don't want to know about COVID anymore. At the same time, while our numbers have really dropped, our health system still is under pressure. People are still sick. People are still dying. I don't think the Prime Minister had much of a a choice in this situation. And as I heard someone say the other day, you know, the problem is that if you don't reduce these special powers quickly enough, they start to become impotent when you need to use them again. Um, I I think that, um, you know, it was inevitable, just like the Republic, but but probably timely. And, um, and, who knows? I don't think COVID's done with us. They may have to be reintroduced next winter. Ben? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's already been long sort of signalled that the age of lockdowns is over um, in the sense that, you know, we do have vaccines now that, uh, you know, there's... We have these very, very heavy-handed regulations like, you know, the lockdown, like the border closures to kind of keep us safe you know, while we built up the defences, quote-unquote, which included, you know, at least talking about increasing hospital capacity, (laughs) Um, uh, you know, understanding the science of the transmission, getting vaccines ready, getting antivirals on order. Mm. The thing is, you you can't just sort of, you know, barricade yourself against it forever, right? And, you know, the the masking thing is sort of in a similar vein. You've... It's easy to sort of lose perspective and sort of think, oh, you know, you know, telling people that they have to mask on public transport, you know, it's not that much of an imposition. 
But if, if you had sort of thought about it, you know, pre-January 2020, the government all the way through has been exercising extraordinary powers. Now, justified, because these have certainly been extraordinary times. But you want to get back to normal as, as much as possible, not just, you know, to maintain the political efficacy of it, you know, and the social buy-in, but also just because, you know, the government actually sh shouldn't be, uh, you know, imposing itself on people's lives, you know, if, if it's not necessary. And, you know, Stuff have done some really good uh, pieces on this. Keith Lynch has done some very, very lengthy but very good explainers about how on a sort of population level, you know, the, the reduction, you know, the getting rid of masking will, will basically have a pretty negligible effect. Um, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't remove the fact that on an individual level, of course, um, you know, if you're meeting with somebody who's elderly or, you know, immunocompromised, then, you know, of course you should be, you know, masking up, meeting with them outdoors if that's possible, you know, trying to, trying to minimise their chances of getting COVID. Um, and that's, you know, that's basic politeness and sort of, you know, being a normal sort of human being in the world. But, um, you, you know, you, you do want to sort of get away from this, you know, just in terms of the exercise of power. You know, you, you, it brings up a whole bunch of other issues as well, which is, you know, in law school where you learn about the sort of reserve powers of the, the regent and the, 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 the head of state. You know, you also get asked these questions like, is a law that no one observes an actual law, you know, is it valid? Can, can it be relied on if, if it's if no one's ever observed it? And, you know, while in central Auckland, you know, when I went to the supermarket, people are still wearing masks a lot of the time. Um, there was certainly very high uptake um, in the last few weeks. But, you know, the service stations, dairies that I went to, uh, no one was wearing masks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you sort of, and, and outside Auckland, you know, and outside Wellington, you know, in small towns basically, you know, has, hasn't, been, hasn't been a live issue for a long time. So, you know, there is a sort of reality there of, of you know, do you have laws on the book that are, that are just sort of um, not observed? And, you know, from a political point of view, I think, not just beyond sort of people's frustration with masking, but I think that the government really wants to get away from, and has since the beginning of the year, has wanted to get away from the position where it's Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister, telling you what's happening with COVID, to COVID is something that's happening in the community and we've got the Ministry of Health doing with that, and <laughs> Jacinda Ardern's telling you all the good news about the day off and that sort of stuff. One of the things I'm really intrigued by... <clears throat> that we're going to, you know, is going to be playing out over the next few years is how COVID has changed the social licence between employers and employees mm. and expectations around working from home and all of that stuff. And, um, and again, it becomes important with the changing of the traffic light system, but also now that we've moved into this era where working from home is normalised and people's expectations have changed that they should be able to as of right given that they were forced to when it was, you know, yeah. worked for the employer. But also what happens when, you know, if, if you do have a, an employer who allows people to go work in the regions and stuff and you get this influx of people moving to the provinces mm. and because they're employed and they've got money and stuff, they then go in and like buy up housing and take up rental homes and that. So what impacts do they have yeah. on the on the um, communities that are, that are already there? And then, you know, 
things like obviously that's going to be great in the long term to have skilled people there and you know maybe in 20 years time we'll see like that those economies starting to lift up but the immediate impacts could potentially be quite negative as well and how are we planning for that and similarly like with ACC and long COVID and all of those sorts of things what's going to happen there and my fear is because you know it's well documented that Māori get a really rough deal from ACC, less care, less entitlements, all, all of that sort of stuff. Like, how are Māori going to be empl- employees going to be affected when it comes to accessing support for long COVID? We are reaching the end of this podcast and still nine hours to go in the queue. Just very quickly, James Shaw has been re-elected as the leader of the Labour Party. The Labour Party, that would be That's news. That's exciting. <laughs> I didn't even the, know he was of running. The, of the Green Party uh, against uh, reopen nominations. Uh, resoundingly, does this, I mean, we'll, we'll have forgotten about this presumably within a year or ten minutes. Is, is it a big thing? I mean, hard to tell because there haven't been, there haven't been sort of, you know, two polls kind of... You know, during the, immediately before and then during the troubled times, but there've been a few. There was, there was a Roy Morgan poll, and yeah, it didn't a, seem like uh, it sort uh, of bumped it bumped the the Greens uh, very high currently vote. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it was a bit of it was definitely an internal sort of thing for them to deal with. It didn't doesn't seem to have really had any much contagion mm. outside that. Um, from people who were sort of at the kind of charm offensive meetings that he did. Well, know. there was clearly no no challenge at once. Everyone sort of said, <laughs> yeah. you know that, <clears throat> but 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 Annabelle, the result was such that clearly he's safe in that position through to the election, and then see what happens after that. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I the guess. day day after the election, once he's been confirmed as a minister, <laughs> reopen nominations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> the. <laughs> Um, I, you know, and, and part of his sort of, you know, part of his re-communication, I think, with the membership was just sort of letting people know. Because you, I, I think a lot of people who are in Parliament and, you know, the day-to-day grind and especially being a minister, there's a lot of stuff happening that you think is obvious because it's, you know, you're dealing with it every day for hours mm. that your members and your voters don't know anything about. So they don't know about the gains that you're making. Uh, most people, even activists, even involved activists within parties, are actually, you know, relatively poorly informed about, you know, the whole gamut of, you know, the work that you're doing. Um, and that's, you know, that's because you're the one who's in a position to tell them. And so I think it's a good reminder, not just to James, but to, to actually all of the, the parties to let their supporters know what they're doing in government. The Māori Party was terrible at this when they were in, um, uh. when they were a support party to National. They, they would sort of come in and, and complain and sort of mm. say, we're getting, we're getting, you know, destroyed by our supporters. We mm. go to the Marae and they're telling us what a bad job we're doing. And they don't seem to know about any of the good things that we do. And it's like, well, whose fault is that? They're not, and they that, can't right. intuit it. And James, James, like, James Shaw know. going on this sort of tour and going to meet, you know, the various party branches yeah. could end up being a positive if it motivates those people to be more active. Yeah, I, Nothing I think like that's right. Nothing like a near-death experience to <laughs> open yeah. up lines of communications. Speaking of which, oh, there's, the, there's the bells again. Um, uh, it's been great to come to you live from London. Uh, we'll be heading back after the festivities. New Zealand. Kakite uh, Ano. Thanks, Annabelle. Thanks, Ben. And thank you very much, Ethan.
Kia ora e te iwi, te ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.